The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host from her home studio is Dr. Claudia McKella. Good morning, Claudia. Good morning, Tina. So I've got to thank you right out of the gate this morning because, once again, our focus today is happiness, exactly what we need during these many, many difficult days. You are so right, and I think that feeling happy is what we should be focusing on. So if it's like a happy moment, a happy thought, uh, several times throughout your day, your week, honestly, I feel like it will just starburst into just happiness in general. And there are some health benefits to go along with it, right? Absolutely. There's so much research that is indicating that happiness improves so many areas of your life. So your physical well-being, it'll help you to improve your thoughts to be more positive. It'll actually improve your cardiovascular health. It improves your um, immune system as well as inflammatory levels and your blood pressure. So the list goes on and on, but those are the big ticket ones that I feel like we all need help with anyways. But you must agree that not everyone is happy all the time, right? And sometimes, and this is what I've learned from you as well, it takes, at least initially, some real focus to be happy. That, to me, seems a bit counterintuitive, don't you think? (laughs) Yes, I agree. I totally agree with you. But I do feel like once you get into the habit of being aware of other emotions, So let's talk about maybe sadness, anger, frustration, even anxiety. When you actually feel happy, you really enjoy that emotion so much more. So it's not about not feeling anything but happiness. It's just about being aware of, first of all, triggers, things that make you feel things that are are other than happiness, and then really realizing what makes you happy and focusing on that. One little tip that I love to give everybody, and I give this to myself and I tell my children, Just pick one thing in your day to look forward to that you know is going to make you happy. So whether it's, um, you know, your morning coffee or whether it's like your nighttime ritual with your family, whether it's just something that you know is going to be up and coming in the day or the week, focus on that at least several times through the day and that will really improve your thoughts and the feelings of happiness. And that's likely so much more important than ever before because many are struggling to get through these days, whether it's the pandemic and how overwhelming that can be, or seasonal affective disorder. It really is so important to focus on even the little things that bring us joy or happiness or simply make us smile for just a moment. I couldn't agree with you more. I wouldn't have even said it better myself. I think focusing on one little thing that's going to make you happy and it's going to change your emotion from maybe scared, frustrated, anxious to happy, I think is key. All right. So it takes a little bit of work, but we can do it. When we come back, the author of Happiness from the Inside Out. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 105.9 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. I'm Tina Cortez and over to Dr. Claudia with today's guest. 
Thank you, Tina. Today we are joined by Robert Mack, author and positive psychology coach. He is joining us today from the West Coast, Los Angeles. Thank you so much for joining us today, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. So, Robert, before we dive into your book, I thought we could tell listeners a little bit about positive psychology. I think everybody needs a bit of that right now, so let's get into it. Yeah, it's the science of happiness. It's only about 20 years old, and it grew out of the University of Pennsylvania and the work of Martin Seligman. It's really all about what makes life worth living, and it's based on time-tested, faith-valid, empirical data. And when did you embrace positive psychology, and when did you have that moment that you thought, this is for me, this is what I want to devote my life's work to? Yeah, it was a long, scenic journey for me. <laughs> I feel like I grew up uh, very, in a very unhappy way. I, was, um, you know, I grew up in a very loving family, but I was a very unhappy child. My first memories were being deeply depressed at 86 or 7. I always thought we'd sort of grow out of that. But as time went on, I actually just became more and more depressed, so much so that I eventually got to a place in my life when I began to contemplate suicide quite regularly. And I decided I would do a little research, and I looked up sort of the means and methods to kill yourself. And I decided at some point I was going to slash my wrist. You know? So I went into, a, into the kitchen, and I grabbed a kitchen knife, and you know, I dug it into my wrist. And it was a really strange and unpredictable experience because as I'm contemplating suicide and I have this knife and I'm digging it into my wrist, I experienced a joy and a peace that I hadn't experienced before. And it came out of seemingly nowhere. So at that point in time, I cut off the suicide for just an hour, you know, which now today almost seems laughable. But at that point, it was a very ambitious goal and a very tall order. In that hour, I began to research what had happened to me there and I did some research around depression and happiness. And that hour bled into several hours, which bled into several days. And I look back now and it's been over two decades. And, you know, my life is totally different now. But along the way, I discovered this program at the University of Pennsylvania, which was a master's in applied positive psychology. And that was part of what helped me dig myself out of this dark, depressing hole that I sort of dug for myself. And thank you for sharing so many of those details with us. Do you still look at those scars on your wrist today? And, and what, do they, what do they mean to you? What do they represent? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, purpose, mostly. And also how sometimes the best of experiences and lessons learned are often poorly wrapped. They're poorly packaged, right? I would have never imagined that one of the greatest gifts and blessings and experiences of my life would have at first seemed like the worst, right? So it was this sort of um, experience of deep depression and suicidal ideation that ultimately led me not only to my life's purpose, but also to helping spread happiness and the science of happiness and the art of happiness with other people in the world. And so I think, you know, it represents so much for me. Mostly it's about purpose, it's about passion, it's about not prejudging any experience and allowing for the possibility that even the worst of circumstances and conditions or experiences can turn out to actually be the best. That sometimes your greatest purpose is buried and hidden in your greatest problems. Hmm. 
I, I can't agree with you more. And I feel like people really need to hear that, that you know, you are now a happiness coach. You are now successful. You studied positive psychology. Um, you know, but you came from a dark place. And I think what people need to understand is like happiness really is related to success. So if you can get beyond that, then you know you're just successful. So, it, can you explain to us the relationship between happiness and success? Oh my goodness, I just love these questions. <laughs> I love talking to you guys about this stuff. You know, it's a great you know um, recognition that I think we all have at some point, which is that success doesn't lead to happiness. And we see that. Look out into the world, you see some very or extraordinarily successful people in the arts or entertainment or business, and they're often very unhappy, if not depressed or suicidal, right? And so success doesn't lead to happiness. But we, but we do know from thousands of studies that happiness does lead to success. So in other words, the people who get happier first before they have all the things they want, they tend to live six to seven years longer um, than their unhappy counterparts. They make six hundred to $700,000 more on average over the course of their lifetime than their unhappy counterparts. They get married earlier, stay married longer, are happier in all their relationships, whether they're married or not. Again, it's not about marriage. It's about happiness. They experience less job burnout. And in all ways, um, happiness really improves not only to the subjective experience of your life, meaning how you feel on the inside, but it also improves the objective experience of your life, meaning your life circumstances and conditions. And so the way I often summarize that is by saying success doesn't lead to happiness. Happiness leads to success. But more than that, happiness is the greatest success, meaning that happiness is the reason that we want to be successful anyway. And so if you want to be successful, if you care about being successful, if you care about getting married or having kids, or you care about doing better in your life, and you want to do it in an increasingly effortless way, you want to prioritize your happiness first and foremost. And you'll find that that's sort of the lazy, intelligent way to experiencing more of everything you want in your life. Okay, so in your book, Happiness from the Inside Out, The Art and Science of Fulfillment, you describe eight principles that can help find joy in happiness in daily life. Can you share some of those principles with us? Yeah, you know, it's a great segue because the first principle really is all about lazy intelligence, right? So, so the question we ask ourselves is how can we achieve better results in our life or at least equal results with less time, energy, and effort? And so a huge part of that is simply prioritizing happiness and, re and reminding yourself that the only reason you want to achieve, accomplish, or acquire anything is because you think and you want to feel better as a result of achieving, accomplishing, and acquiring it. And so instead of routing our happiness through other people or places or things or activities or objects, we want to go directly to the source for happiness, which is within us, right? So I'd say that that lazy, intelligent approach is really probably the most important and certainly the first step in becoming happier but also more successful. And so I love that. Um, I, I think it just makes the most sense. And you made a very valid point earlier that instead of success leading to happiness, happiness leads to success. And, you know, but happiness for each and every one of us is different. Would you agree? Absolutely. It's both a science and an art, right? And so we have lots of scientific data to support, you know, what will and what won't 
generally make you happy or happier, right? And that being said, we have to customize that for ourselves. You know, there's lots of data and research to, to show that most people think that the folks who live in California are happier overall, right? The sunny weather and, you know, the great um, geography and, and X, Y, and Z reasons. But we tend to find that that's actually not necessarily true. There are plenty of people who live in California who aren't happier despite living in California, for instance, right? And so, you know, we want to do – and on the flip side of that, there are lots of people who have found that by moving somewhere and pulling what we call a geographic, they've actually improved or enhanced their happiness. Um, and so, you know, we want to sort of understand that statistics and science describes the average situation, and it helps us to understand where we should sort of, you know, if we're going to gamble, which direction we should gamble in. But that being said, we're all different. We're individuals, and some of us will find that, you know, we need to customize this sort of happiness approach and happiness plan for ourselves and our unique personalities and our own you know, unique desires and wants and needs. Okay, so is there a bit of a secret here? Can happiness be learned? Or, you know, if you're naturally a happy person, are you already ahead of the game? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So it's, you know, really interesting. Scientists have come up with sort of a formula for happiness, believe it or not. And it really consists of three things. We, we, we say H, which is happiness, equals C plus S, plus V. And I'll speak to the, the S first. The S is set point. It's your genetic set point. So we're all born sort of wired to be a little more happy or a little less happy just based on our DNA. The interesting thing about that, however, is, this, is that this genetic set point or predisposition, which apparently accounts for about 50% of how happy or unhappy we are, is malleable. We can actually change that genetic predisposition for happiness, and we can increase it just based on doing sort of happy activities and putting ourselves in the company or presence of happy people and, you know, making real effort towards living a happier life based on what science and philosophy and, um, you know, the world has to teach us about happiness. And so, you know, this genetic set point, unlike hair, let's say, eye color, for instance, or height, it can be changed. It's malleable, and the brain is plastic. And so when you begin to think different thoughts, and you begin to surround yourself with different people, and you put yourself in different environments, you actually can make considerable progress with respect to your genetic uh, predisposition or set point, and you can increase your happiness level. The C and the V in this happiness equation stands for circumstances. So circumstances, believe it or not, only account for 10% of how happy or unhappy you are. So that means that when you think about the perfect life, you have the perfect partner or maybe several partners, you have the perfect number of kids, even if it's zero, you have the perfect amount of money, maybe it's unlimited money, you live in a perfect house, or you have multiple houses. When you think about your perfect life altogether, those things only account for 10% of your overall happiness score, yet most of us spend most of our lives chasing these circumstances and conditions and trying to orchestrate or organize our lives in ways to create a perfect you know, circumstance or a perfect condition with respect to our external life, right? And so we want to be careful of that because it only counts for about 10%. And, of course, the other 40% is voluntary activity. Those are things like gratitude and social support and other things that we'll talk about. But all in all, what this formula says is that 90%, at least 90%, I would argue that 100%, but 90% based on science, is actually completely within your control. 
Wow. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and can we repeat that equation just one more time? Yes, of course. So happiness equals C, that's your life circumstances, plus S, your genetic set points, plus B, voluntary activity. All right. I got I to gotta write that one down and make sure that I'm making sure that that equation all works out for me. <laughs> 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 I got to see what it does. Yeah, so so basically what you're saying is based on those variables, right, we can adjust our happiness throughout our entire life, right? Like it's not something that has to be the same every day, every year. We must practice it so that it becomes part of our daily lives. That's right. Happiness is an equal opportunity endeavor. Now, that doesn't mean to suggest for one moment that, you know, improving your life circumstances or improving your life conditions or anything like that won't necessarily improve your overall life satisfaction, right? So life satisfaction is a little bit different than happiness. We can make ourselves more comfortable in all kinds of ways, right? But happiness is something different. And when I talk about happiness specifically, I go beyond what the scientific community talks about, and I talk about this lasting, abiding, and meaningful experience of peaceful aliveness that you feel, even if you're going through something tough. That's behind that. Beneath that and between that is this sense of or this recognition that all is still well and that there's a reservoir, an infinite reservoir bank of happiness inside you that you're tapped into all the time. And so, yes, with practice and a little effort and a little intelligence, you can actually tap into this infinite bank of happiness more consistently so that you basically live at a much more high-flying vibe place. Okay, so now I'm going to get a little bit personal with you. So you had that experience a couple of decades ago where you were unhappy and you considered taking your own life. What changed for you and how do you constantly now find the joy, find the happiness and uh, work towards that? And how does that help you help others? Wow, powerful, powerful question. Yeah, I honestly, uh, right, it was very slow progress for me at first, I felt like I was recreating the will. I didn't know where to look for resources and for help. I didn't reach out and get clinical help or anything like that. And mostly just dove into books. And I started doing as much research as humanly possible. What I discovered right away is that I wasn't alone. That, you know, and this was sort of the early 2000s. You know, what I discovered was that at in, between 1950 and the early 2000s, we had experienced 10 times the level of unipolar and bipolar depression that we've ever experienced in the history of humankind, right? So we had 10 times essentially more unhappy, deeply, you know, clinically unhappy people. Um, more than that, we also were experiencing more access one and access two disorders. Folks were more anxious and um, there was more drug use and all these things. So essentially people were feeling increasingly unhappy. And at the same time, strangely enough, we were experiencing, you know, better, technology that helped us live longer, healthier lives. And so as life was getting better on the outside, people were feeling worse for it on the inside. They call that the progress paradox. So all of that being said, what I discovered was that I wasn't alone, that there was something going on in the world that was contributing to my sadness and my unhappiness and my frustration and stress and anxiety. But I also discovered that there were lots of folks, brilliant folks, who had dedicated their lives to solving for this. And that while at first, I dug into books and I began interviewing just random people that I would meet about what made them happy and what didn't. I very quickly discovered 
that there was just a finite number of things that I actually needed to do to really improve the happiness and the peace of my life. And those things, if I were to summarize them, really were four major things. First was identifying happy activities. I call those happiness islands, but they're things, people, places with very little effort or energy uplift you, inspire you, and make you feel just happy to be alive. So identifying these happiness islands, really happiness activities, was extraordinarily helpful. And I wanted to spend more time doing those things, even if other people didn't necessarily agree that I should be doing them, right? So with happy activities, the second part was happy people. Very difficult to be happy if you're surrounded by unhappy people all the time or people who don't want you to be happy. The third was happy thoughts. Just basically learning to tell better feeling stories based in truth about everything for the sole purpose of feeling better. I knew that if I could feel better, I would do better. So I really, over time, began to increasingly focus on those three areas. There was a fourth area I discovered over time was a master key, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, so you talked about happy activities, happy people, happy thoughts. You also mentioned this infinite bank of happiness. Can I ask you, how do we learn to deposit and withdraw from that bank? Yeah, great, great point. So generally, you know, you can probably ramp up most easily by focusing on the first three areas first, right? The happy activities, you know, and getting off of your plate, by the way. Anything you don't particularly love or you're maybe not extraordinarily gifted with, right? We call those happiness uh, deserts or happiness valleys. If you can outsource, delegate, reduce, eliminate those things. If you can't do those four things, at least consider automating or regulating them. But the idea is to get them off your plate and focusing on the happy people and the happy stories and thoughts, based in truth, of course. But once you do that, what I've discovered was that all of this felt like a lot of work. <laughs> it was happier work <laughs> than the work I was doing before. It was making me so unhappy, but it felt like a lot of work. And I thought maybe there was a better, faster, more efficient, effective, and enjoyable way to be happy. And I discovered there was. And that was simply by thinking less, right? So there's happy thoughts, and then there's happy no thoughts or non-thoughts, just simply happy awareness. So I discovered this one really transformative tool, super easy, a lazy, intelligent way to tap into this infinite bank of happiness that exists inside of you, and it's called a micro-meditation. And the whole idea is to simply, as often as you can, take one conscious breath with the only goal being to enjoy that breath as deeply and as fully as humanly possible and pretend like it's the last breath you'll ever take on earth, right? Really try to milk it for all the joy you can possibly get out of it and do it only to enjoy it while you let all your thoughts go. And you don't need to set aside special time for this. You can do it while you're swiffering or vacuuming, while you're in conversation, while you're driving, you know, while you're doing laundry. But the idea is that if you do just one breath, and you never really want to do more than one breath because it's all about enjoying it. If you enjoy it, you'll get really good. If you try to get really good, you'll never get really good. <laughs> so if you can commit to enjoying it, you'll discover very quickly that within about 21 to 66 days, based on all that neuroplasticity research, you'll rewire your brain for a much more automatic and effortless experience of happiness. And so that is one of the most transformative skills or techniques I've ever discovered. The first time I heard it, I underestimated its potency. But now, looking back, I realize how incredibly powerful it really is. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, I, I love that. I think that is key. Micro meditation is that what that what the term is? Exactly, just okay. a micro meditation. It's one breath. Love it. So we know that you know you have this amazing book that we're going to talk about briefly in a couple minutes. But I want to ask you. Can you give us any success stories? Because I know you coach clients, you coach organizations. Can you give us some success stories? Yeah. So, of course, I always have to, you know, raise my hand and call myself out first because <laughs> I know that one most intimately. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, that to me is the greatest uh, sort of success story. And, 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 I meet, and I say that very humbly, meaning that I was the least likely candidate to be a happiness coach, <laughs> right? <laughs> So that, to me, is kind of mind-blowing when I think about it. But more than that, you know, I say I'm always fascinated by the folks in my private practice, some of whom are extraordinarily um, successful, you know, and, and wealthy and, uh, and famous, right? Lots of them are, are sort of, um, you know, household names. And what I'm always fascinated by with some of these folks is so many of them come and they're seeing a therapist as well at the same time, and they're deeply depressed and suicidal, and they're chasing more and more money. They've, you know, I've had one client in my practice, and he was making about $12 million a month, which you think is a very healthy income, and uh, had a very successful career, and lots of awards, and you know, um, people would recognize him if they knew he was. And, and, and what's interesting is that you know, every single day, his focus and his experience was one of unhappiness and misery and suicidal ideation. And so simply by helping him to establish a few new habits and beginning to vet the company he kept better and better and beginning to turn this happiness thing into almost a second career for him, he was able to go from that to actually carving out a life that was much more authentic to let go of the people-pleasing, let go of the trying to fulfill other people's expectations, focused more and more on just pleasing himself. And he discovered along the way that not only was he becoming a lot more creative, with his artistic expression and uh, with his music and with some of the, you know, uh, entertainment projects that he was working on. But it all happened so much more effortlessly for him because he was really operating from what we call the flow state. That's when you're so tapped in, tuned in, turned on to what you're doing. You're enjoying it so much that you don't even realize that time is passing and you forget all about the world. You forget all about your problems. And all of a sudden you're 500 to 1,000% more productive, efficient, and effective, but you also are enjoying yourself. So he found that he could spend more of a his life in that flow state, and in an adult, he was a much better company, much easier to get along with. He found himself a lot more generous, you know, he's donating more money and donating just more time to helping other people out because he's coming from this place of overflow, right? And so I'd say that he, for me, is one of the greatest sort of case studies or examples of what a person can do when they really dedicate or commit themselves to being happy above everything and everybody else. I love that, and I'm sure that there's a lot more information in your book. Um, so if listeners want to purchase the book, can you please tell us how and where and how we can get our hands on it? Of course. So you can find happiness from the inside out everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble, both in the store and online. Um, that's probably the best place to find it. And if listeners want to learn more about you, your services, and just how to find happiness, how can they do that? Absolutely. You can find me at coachrobmack.com. And you can also find me on all social media platforms, probably most consistently 
Instagram at Rob Mack, M-A-C-K, official. Awesome. That was terrific. And Coach Rob Mack, come back anytime. Dr. Claudia, please remind our listeners how to connect with you. That's easy. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Michaela or my website, ClaudiaMichaela.com. That's our show for previous broadcasts of The Wellness Prescription. Go to 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region.